Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Every episode of Fireside, we take a story from myth or folklore, we retell it, and then we have a conversation about the story itself and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode eight of Fireside, coming to you, as always, from the beautiful Headstuff podcast studios here in Dublin. Um, If it's your first time listening, welcome along to the Fireside family. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much. It's great to be at episode eight. I hope you're enjoying them as much as I'm enjoying writing and recording them. Our story this, we return to Irish myth this episode, and it's a doozy. I'd probably say this about every story I do, but this, no, this one is particularly good. I won't tell you any details kind of about it, but just kind of before I launch into it, when it comes to my approach to rewriting the folktales and rewriting the myths, there's kind of a different approach to them. With, with the folktales, I read different versions of them and then almost res- like write my own version from memory and let my own details emerge and my own plot lines emerge. But with the myth, rewriting myth is almost more like rewriting history. You know, it's 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 written, it's written like a history book, like of a sequence of events, like which are often fantastical and magical, uh, but it still is this this history, this history of this mythological people. But when it comes to this story, this story is called the Sons of Tyran. It's also known as the tragedy of the Sons of Tyran. So that'll give you, that'll give you an in, an insight into what we're kind of talking straight away. It comes just after Lu takes over as king of the Tuatadanann. Um, and it's just before the second battle of Moitera. It's kind of all heating up. You know, it's the two of the Danon are about to fight this great big war with the Fomor. And all of a sudden there's this pause button is hit. And there's this beautiful, almost totally out of context story. It all does tie in. And this is very much one of the one of the big stories of early Irish mythology. But it is it is ancient Greek. It is it is Herculean. It is Argonautic in its in its scope, I feel. But I'm not going to keep talking about it. I could just keep talking about it, but I'll t- talk about that more afterwards. But here it is, episode 8 of Fireside. We're talking with the Sons of Tyran. The Sons of Tyran. When the Tuatha Dé Danann faced a great war with the dreaded people of the Fomor, their king, Nuda, placed Lú Lávada, Lú of the Long Hand, 
who was one of the strongest and wisest of all of his people, as their new king. When the time for war came, Lu sent out three messengers to rally the troops of the Tuatha The messengers were two of his uncles, Ku and Kethan, and his own father, Cian. To cover the most amount of Ireland in the least amount of time, the three men split up, with Ku heading south, Kethan heading west, and Cian heading north. Cian rode without rest until he reached the plain of Merhivna, the future home of his descendant Ku But upon arrival, Cian spotted three riders, who he recognised immediately as Brian, Iker, and Ikarba, the three sons of Tyrion. Cian and Tyrion were old enemies, and he knew that any encounter with any family of Tyrion would end in bloodshed. Cian was not afraid to shed blood, but he was also not a fool. He thought to himself, If my brothers were here, this fight wouldn't be a problem. But as I stand here alone, I would be stupid to take on these three younger men. Now is not the time for pride. My people need me. I should turn myself into a pig. So that's what he did. Cian spotted a herd of pigs, struck himself with his druid wand, transformed himself, and began to root with his fellow swine. Unfortunately, the sons of Tyrion saw this whole thing happen. Why do you suppose that lad turned himself into a pig? said Iacar. Maybe he just loves rolling in muck, said Ikarba. It's two morons I have for brothers, said Brian. He transformed himself once he saw us. I guarantee you that pig is no friend of ours. But what can we do? Those pigs are belonging to Nuda, our king. It'll be a price on our heads if we kill any of them, said Ikarba. And even if we did chase them all down, the enchanted pig may still escape, said Iacar. Neither of those will be an issue, my brothers, for no pig can outrun a hound of the two of the Danon. And knew the cat punished three dogs. With that, Brian took out his own druid wand and transformed himself and his two brothers into wolfhounds. The three hunted down every one of those poor porcine creatures. Eventually, Cian was separated from the herd, and Brian recognized the enchanted pig immediately. They chased Cian into a forest, and when he was cornered, Brian transformed himself back into human form and impaled the Cian pig with his spear. As Cian lay dying, he spoke. Mercy! Have mercy on this pig! I've never met a pig with the speech of a man, said Brian. I am Cian of the Tua de Danon, and I am on an urgent quest on behalf of Lou, my son. I ask for your mercy. I knew I recognised you, said Brian. You were an age-old rival of our father, and if I could resurrect you seven times, I would still kill you every time. Then at least let me die in my own form. That I will allow. To be honest, I'm more comfortable killing a man than slaughtering a pig. Cian transformed himself back into his true form. Now I ask for your mercy again. For if you had killed me as a pig, you could only be punished for the death of livestock. But if you kill me in my true form, there is no end to the retribution that will befall you. And the weapons that you kill me with will be what betrays your deed to my son. And Brian said, Then let it not be with our own weapons we kill you. And Brian, Iker, and Ikarba picked up the rocks at their feet and stoned Cian to death. They buried his body 
but the earth wouldn't take it. Every time they buried him, the earth would push his body back up. It was only when they buried him a seventh time did the earth finally accept the body of Cian. After this, the sons of Tyran returned to Tara. When Cian never returned from his journey, Lou became worried. Knowing his father as well as he did, he became convinced some deadly misfortune had befallen him. So Lou mounted his horse, Einvar, and rode north until he reached the plain of Merhidna. There, the ground spoke to Lou and told him of the act of the sons of Tyran. Lou dug up the body of Cian to see the extent of the brutality put upon his father's body. There was so little left, Lou knew it was only stoning could have done it. It was an enemy's death the sons of Tyran gave my father, and it is an enemy's vengeance I will return. Lou reburied his father and gave him a proper funeral. When he returned to Tara, Lou gathered all the best warriors of the two of Daedanan in his throne room, present were the sons of Tyran, unaware as they were of what Lou already knew. Friends, said Lou, what punishment would you inflict on someone who murdered your own father? A bloody one, shouted a voice from the crowd, and there were murmurs of agreement, including from Brian Eker and Ikarba, who were attempting to blend in. Lou replied, Really? I wouldn't. If I met the men who killed my father, I would find them and leave it at that. Upon hearing this, the sons of Tyran gave a sigh of huge relief. But Brian was sceptical. Seeing his opportunity to win favour with Lou, but still wanted to protect himself, Brian stepped forward and said, It is with no weapon of the sons of Tyran that your father was killed. But nonetheless, we three will pay the debt, until such a day that the real perpetrators come forward. That is very noble of you boys, said Lou. All I'm asking for is three apples, the skin of a pig, a spear, two horses, a chariot, a dog's whelp, a cooking spit, oh, and for you to shout three times on a hill. An unusual list but an astonishingly small amount to ask for the retribution of his father's death. Brian said, A hundred times that list would not be too much to ask, but I suspect there is more to that list than what you are asking. I swear before all present here that that is all I ask, and if all of those are delivered to me, my vengeance will be quite satisfied. Then we swear to you, and to all the Tour de Danon, we will pay this debt. Lou then revealed the nature of his requests. The three apples I want are in the garden in the east of the world. They're the size of a baby's head and can heal any wound. The pigskin can also heal any illness or injury and belongs to Tui, the king of Greece. The spear is one of the deadliest in the world. The king of Persia has that. Doar, the king of Shigur, has the two horses and the chariot. They're really fast. So that's three for one, really. The seven pigs belong to Isil, king of the golden pillars. They are killed every night and resurrect themselves every morning. The whelp is a puppy of the king of the cold country. She is supposedly more beautiful than the sun. The cooking spit is with the warrior women on the island of the fair hair. 
And finally, the hill that I want you to shout off of is the hill of Miachan. Now, Miachan and his sons have been given very strict instructions not to let anyone shout on top of this hill. So they could be a bit of trouble. Especially since they trained my father, and I may forgive you for murdering him, but they most certainly will not. That is the fine I ask of you. Off you go. In deep shock at this daunting task, Brian, Iker, and Ikorba went to their father, Tyran, to tell him this news. It is to your deaths Lu has sent you. There is only one hope for you to complete this mammoth quest. Ask Lu to borrow his horse, Einvar. He won't part with it, so you'll ask him for his ship, Skubtena, the sweeper of the waves. Lu is under a magical oath not to refuse a second request, and the ship will be far more valuable to you. The sons of Tyran heeded their father's advice and returned to Lu. The plan worked as Lu refused the loan of his precious horse, so he was forced to give the brothers his ship. Lu was angry at having been deceived, but he had no choice. The sons of Tyran boarded Skubtina, left the shores of Ireland, and set off on their epic quest. First, they sought the three apples, but when they arrived at the garden in the east of the world, they found it severely guarded. While Iker and Ikorba wanted to charge in and die a hero's death, Brian thought better of it, and transformed him and his brothers into three hawks. They flew into the garden, easily avoiding the spears and arrows thrown at them, and each one snatched one of the golden delicious apples. When the king found out about the theft, he sent his daughters after the sons of Tyran. The daughters too changed themselves into birds of prey and hunted down the brothers. They fired shots of lightning, severely burning them. But before a final blow could be struck, Brian transformed his brothers into swans when the three daughters weren't looking, and the sons of Tyran swam to safety. The brothers then sailed to Greece to retrieve the pigskin. Iker and Ikarba wanted to transform into animals again, as that had worked so well the last time, but Brian decided that instead they should enter the king's court as poets of Ireland, who were respected by the Greeks. In disguise, the sons of Tyran went before the king of Greece. The king demanded they recite a poem, and while Iker and Ikarba panicked, Brian recited a beautiful piece of poetry, after which he demanded the enchanted pigskin as his reward. The king laughed, but admiring the sheer audacity of this Irish bard, said he would give Brian the price of the pigskin filled with gold three times over. Brian accepted, but asked that the pigskin be brought out so that he could see the gold being measured. Once the skin was in sight, Brian cut its carrier in half and put on the pigskin himself. With its magical healing powers now in his favour, Brian and his brothers fought their way out of the kingdom, killing the king and anyone else who stood in their way. That plan worked so well, the sons of Tyran decided to try the exact same thing on the king of Persia, who had the spear. But when they went before the Persian king, and Brian recited another lovely poem, and asked for the spear as his reward, the king's response was, The prize I will give you is the greatest prize a poet has ever received in Persia. And that is, that I won't execute you where you stand for daring to make such a request. 
Brian knew they were in trouble. So in a moment of panic, he took one of the golden apples from his pocket and threw it at the king's head. The giant apple smashed the king's head open and Brian grabbed the spear and used it to fight his way out while his brothers hacked away beside him. Growing weary of all of this bloodshed, the sons of Tyran tried a new tactic when they sailed to Shagur to find the chariot and the two horses. They went before Dohar, the king, as three mercenaries from Ireland, looking to enter his service. The king was delighted and put them in his royal guard. They stayed there for over a month, hoping at some stage they would run into the chariot, but in all that time they never did. They grew impatient, so the brothers went to the king, and Brian said, My king, if we are to truly protect you, we must know all that we are protecting. We have heard word of your mighty steeds and chariot, but in all of our time here we have never seen them. Ah, God, why didn't you say so, said Dohar. I'd have shown them to you the day you arrived, if you'd asked. I love showing them off. The king had the two horses brought out, and they pulled the chariot behind them. Upon seeing them, Brian once again took action and pulled the charioteer off the chariot and hurled him against the wall. Then he took the Persian spear and impaled the king. Iakar and Ikorba boarded the chariot and they rowed it back to their ship. By the time they sailed to find the seven pigs, Esau, the king of the golden pillars, had heard many stories about the sons of Tyran, slaughtering kings left, right and centre. He met them at the harbour and asked them what they wanted. We want your pigs, said Brian. I thought you might say that, said Esau. After a long discussion with his advisers, Esau decided to give the pigs to the sons of Tyran peacefully, so that there would not be any bloodshed. The king then asked, Where do you head next? To the cold country, to find a puppy, said Brian. Then please take me with you, said Esau. My daughter is married to the king of the cold country. Maybe I can convince him to give you the puppy, so you need not harm him. So the brothers and the king sailed to Iru, but when they arrived, there was a mighty army waiting for them. Word had also reached the cold country of the deeds of the sons of Tyran. But Esau jumped off the ship first and went straight to the king, asking him to give up the whelp without a fight. But the king was a much younger and much more stubborn man, and he would not listen to the advice of his father-in-law. So the sons of Tyran began a great battle, slaughtering every soldier in their path until Brian came face to face with the king. An epic duel took place between the two men until Brian disarmed the king. However, due to the new friendship between Brian and Esau, Brian left the king's son-in-law alive. He took the puppy and left the cold country. Back in Ireland, Lou was becoming worried. He had been so sure the sons of Tyran would be killed on their quest. But now they had only two things left to retrieve. He also feared the new power of the brothers, given the items currently in their possession. So Lou had a spell cast on the sons of Tyran, which made them forget the rest of their task, and to make them want to return to Ireland. When the brothers landed, Lou went into hiding, until the sons brought the items to Tara. Once they were in his possession, Lou reminded the brothers that they were two tasks short. With their memories restored, the weary and heartbroken brothers had to once again set sail. The last item, at least, to be retrieved 
was a cooking spit on an island of warrior women. The sons of Tyrion sailed for three months but couldn't find the island. Finally, Brienne had a thought that perhaps the island was underwater. He crafted a suit that would allow him to breathe beneath the waves and dive down. He searched the seafloor for two weeks until he came across 150 warrior women all sewing. And among them, Brienne saw the cooking spit. Without saying anything, Brienne swam up and grabbed the spit and attempted his escape. All of the women began to laugh and told Brienne that even if he had his two brothers with him, even the weakest of the warrior women would be able to kill them all. However, admiring the audacity he had displayed, they allowed him to go and even to take the cooking spit with him. There was one final task. The three shouts at the top of the hill of Miachon. The sons of Tyrion charged the hill, and the three of them cut down Miachon where he stood. Then they began their climb of the hill, until they were confronted with the three sons of Miachon, who not only sought to avenge the death of their father, but of Cian as well. A fight took place between the two sets of brothers, so fierce it is to have turned the sky red. Although the sons of Tyrion emerged victorious, they were all mortally wounded. Eachar and Ikarba told Brian they did not have the strength to climb the rest of the hill. So Brian carried his two brothers on his back to the top of the hill, and the sons of Tyrion gave three shouts, and the debt was paid. Breathing their last, the brothers returned to Ireland. Brian made Eachar and Ikarba raise their heads to gaze upon the land of their father one last time. Tyrion met his sons at the shore, and Brian gave him the spit and told him to bring it to Lou and to tell him that the three shouts had been given, and also to ask Lou for the enchanted pigskin so that they may be healed. Tyrion brought the item and the news and begged Lou for the pigskin. Lou refused. So Tyrion returned to be with his sons, but Brian wouldn't give up. He asked to be carried to see Lou to ask him himself. When Brian was before Lou, Lou said, Even if you offered me the entire world, I would never heal you. Brian returned to his brothers, lay down between Eachar and Ikorba, and the tragedy of the sons of Tyrion was ended. The end, and also to be continued. <laughs> Wow, there we go. How about that? That's the sun, the tragedy of the Sons of Tyrion. I hope you enjoyed it. You see now what I mean? Like, it's it's epic. It's, it is truly like something from Greek myth. You know, it's, it's considered an Irish Argonautica. So, like, uh, Jason and the Argonauts and Jason's hunt for the Golden Fleece and his love affair with uh, Medea. And I th- I think it's really like, um, it's like a combination of the Odyssey and of the labors of Hercules. And I love, I just love this idea of them sailing around the entire world. This boat that they have, Skubtina, that belongs to Manonon, the god of the sea, who the horse, Aenvar, loose horse, actually belongs to as well. Manon gives Manonon 
Manon McLear gives both of them to to Lou to have. Um, and I love this, um, just sail around the entire world, because a lot of Irish mythology is obviously just set in Ireland. And that's a huge advantage that Greek mythology has, because there are just so many Greek islands. So, like, when you have Odysseus sailing around to the island of Sirens and the island of this and that, those are all just, there are so many just tiny little islands around around Greece even still to this day that it's so much more ripe for that. And I love the idea of this epic quest and especially its origins. Like, I think as much as I say this is a very ancient Greek kind of story, um, I love how Irish it becomes at so many. I love how complex it is in terms of who the hero and who the villain is. Because Lou as I said before, is my boy. He, He's my favourite. He's my favourite early Irish mythological character. And there is a bit of a Superman thing to him where he is just good at everything. But I just, I don't know, maybe it's just how I've read him or just like, just the sheer amount of stuff he can do. I love so much. But I think actually this story is one of those reasons why I do love him so much as well because it adds another de- dimension to him of him being... Uh, cruel of him being callous and of course that's even debatable because obviously it's almost like an episode of Game of Thrones or something or or a a series of it in that like I always hate referencing Game of Thrones because I feel it dates things so badly Um, as in like if you watch uh, if you watch slight side note if you watch Trainwreck the Amy Schumer movie she makes like three Game of Thrones jokes in it and even though Game of Thrones is still on TV now it dates that movie so badly. <laughs> but that's a that's a side note. Um, but what I mean by is that early on in like uh, what George R. R. Martin did with the Game of Thrones books is, you know, taking Tolkien and taking this idea of Lord of the Rings being very quite black and white for the most part. Um in its good and bad, and even the bad, the corrupting of the good is all the power of the ring and the power of evil. So obviously it makes makes people like uh, Boromir more complex characters as a result of it, but still it's not a badness in him. It's the it's the weakness of men and the power of the ring. So George R. R. Martin wanted to obviously flip that on its head and have all of the characters that you thought are bad be good and good or bad. And that really shows, is if you look at those earlier books... Um, or even if you just watch the TV show, the early episodes of the TV show, characters that are so, so clearly portrayed as villains uh, are offered massive redemption or perhaps even aren't, but just your perception of them changes as you get more the full picture. And it's amazing to have a story like that from thousands of years ago in The Sons of Tyran. A myth is quite good for that as well. Like you see that with the Greek gods and with the Norse gods is um, they weren't afraid of their their badness, their capriciousness. That wonderful word that Stephen Fry uses when he describes the Greek gods a lot. They're, you know, they're angry, they're moody, they're vengeful, they like killing and riding each other and it's it's all wonderful and it's a bloodbath. So Irish is very much like that as well, but I love this. This is such a kind of stock story, for lack of a better term, 
in terms of we just get these painted as Lou as the hero and the Sons of Tyrion as the villain because we get no background to this rivalry between Cian and Tyrion. There's a lot in this story and a lot in general of things that we just take for granted and that's one of the most wonderful things about folktales and myths as far as I'm concerned. It's the thing I've said this before. Philip Pullman talks about the key to a fairy tale is swiftness. Is that all we need the word once and we're off. And that we just like, the events fly through and we just accept that. For example, when uh, when Brian wants to dive down to find the island of the warrior women, he just, he just crafts a suit that allows him to breathe underwater. Or just in terms of turning themselves into the animals, just a hit of a druid wand and that's that. I don't know why it doesn't bother me. I love it. I love that, like, because obviously it, it kind of then makes like anything possible. But like, it does operate under its seemingly own rules, even though it doesn't seem to be clear on what those rules are. You know, obviously they can't just summon all of the items straight away. They have to go and find them. But while they're there, they can transform themselves into animals and craft apparatus to breathe underwater. But I love that. I love it. it flies the story along, especially when there's what, like, there's the seven items, well, like seven kind of groups of items. So you got the three apples, uh, the healing swineskin, the spear, uh, the chariot, the magic pigs, um, the puppy, and the cooking spit, and then the shouts on the islands. So it's quite a lot. Um, and even when I was doing the rewrite of this, I was almost thinking about blending a few of the stories together because there is quite a lot. But they all just have slightly different approach, even like with the even with the visit to Greece and the Greece visit to Persia. Even though that's it's the exact same tactic that the the lads use, there's still different results. And this idea of this blood and carnage and just death befalling everything that comes in their way. And of course, this word of this reaching other kings, that's wonderful as well. That like, yes, this idea of these three lads going around murdering every king, that would spread quite quickly. It's it solved a big problem because I was, when I was rewriting it before I'd kind of... When I knew I was going to do this story, I remembered having read it like last year, and before I kind of reread it again to get more details of it, I was wondering why why doesn't because I knew I remembered that they died at the end. I went why how did they just not have the healing apples and the healing? And I I'd forgotten that Lou solved that problem by having them bring back. That's my probably my favorite detail in that is that such a great storytelling device is that he makes them come back that's really like the third act him just him inviting them back and making them give all the items he has so that when they go out and they get injured again they can't heal themselves that's that's such delicious delicious storytelling and i have no problem with any i'll fight any man and also we've got all these places these places all around the world now some of them we got names for like uh, greece and persia Love them like going to Greece even just like at this time. You picture like the sons of Tyrion going in and the Greek gods being up there as well. It being like the ancient Greece of myth they're going into. That's fantastic. That's like crossing worlds, those crossovers. Um, But there's a lot of details in some versions. And I put some here, but I tried to lean away in other cases in terms of like, 
you know, the, the, the cold country and uh, the golden pillars, the land of the golden pillars. And I tried to look up some of these and like there's nothing on them, but I almost prefer that. I like, again, like another key thing to a good fairy tale is keeping the things vague or like or just up for interpretation that they are what you paint in your mind. You just have this idea of them going on this epic quest around the island and then your imagination fulfilling the rest. That's I hope you enjoy that because that's that's a thing I really love about this story. Because when I was writing, I thought I'd have to kind of get context of find out where all these islands were supposed to be geographically, what they would be today. But I think it's more interesting how it is, how it is done. And it's up in the air. And I hope you do too. But I better wrap up there now. I didn't get to chat as much because it was quite a long story. But I hope you enjoy it. I like it when the stories are longer. They're harder to write out, but uh, they're more, they can be very enjoyable to read out. And I hope you enjoyed this one as well. Next week, we're going to go back to folklore. But thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Olahan Solo, all one word, O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O, or on Twitter at Olahan Solo as well. Um, you can like the Fireside page on Facebook. And I hope you're enjoying it. If it's your first time listening, thank you very much. And I will see you all next time, or you will hear me all next time around the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.